name was brand new to us today. We had not heard from him, never heard of him, nor have we ever contacted him. This is what the local coach said after hearing that he had been set up. He said, we have all been deceived. Whoever called was pretty good. He had a name and all the proper numbers. I don't know what this person had to gain by deceiving all of us. I thought it was a classic quote. We have all been deceived. And isn't that the truth? We have all been deceived at some point or another in our lives. We have all been deceived. Who hasn't been? I mean, who hasn't been lied to? Who hasn't been deceived? Who hasn't been betrayed? And maybe even you were the one that did it. I mean, maybe you're the one that deceived someone else or lied to someone else. Maybe there was something in it for you, some personal gain. Or maybe you were covering your bases because there was going to be a great price that had to be paid if the truth was exposed. So we deceive one another. We betray one another. We lie to one another. And, you know, when we wonder, as he did, it just doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem fair. But sometimes the stories can be funny. I heard a story that was great about a... This Jose Rodriguez was the meanest, orneriest. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I hear you now. Hey, look, now don't pick on me. I'm not feeling real well here. I know. know. Anyway, he was. uh, Let's just say he was. He was a mean, bad dude, and uh, and he was a bandit that he raided the the Texican-Mexican border, and he would come across the border into Texas and South Texas, and he would rob particular banks. He would get the money, he would run back to Mexico, he'd hide out, and they could never find him. Finally, the Texas Rangers got so upset, they called their, their biggest, baddest dude, and they said, look, we want him captured, we don't care what you have to do, and we don't care if you take him alive. He said, great. So he went into Mexico, and he went into this dusty, dingy little saloon, and he, he kicked open the doors, and sure enough, there was Jose Rodriguez. He said, listen, you, we're tired of this. And he pulled out both guns. He says, if you don't tell us where all the money is that you've stolen, you've stolen thousands. And, 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 and he was looking at him like, and so a little guy jumps up and said, oh, senor, Jose is my friend, but he does not speak any English. And I will translate for you whatever it is you want to tell him. So I said, well, you tell Jose that I will kill him right now, and I won't even hesitate if he doesn't tell us where our money is. He has stolen literally millions of dollars. And so the guy turns to him and he translates to Jose and Jose realizing that, you know, that's it, his, his, his goose is cooked and it's time to give it up, tells him, just tell him to go down to the well, the fourth stone from the bottom is loose, pull it out and all the money's hidden there. So he goes back and he goes back to the Texas Ranger to translate what this man said, knowing the Ranger can't speak any Spanish whatsoever and he says, Jose said, listen, big mouth. He goes, you can shoot him and kill him right now, but he'll never ever tell you where the money is. So, you know, sometimes they're funny, sometimes they're not. We had a meeting this past week with, um, with uh, one of our suppliers, and we were talking about different things that happen in the construction industry. And he said, you know what? He goes, you know, it's amazing. He's been in the industry, I think, 15, 20 years. And he said, you know, I could just tell you story upon story. And I said, well, I know. I know several of them myself. He goes, but he goes, I could tell you story on top of story of people who literally just robbed their companies blind. The, the bookkeeper who had duplicate checks and it would have one under another and the boss would sign them and then sign the next one and wouldn't know even what he was signing and she'd pull that one out and she'd go use it and take money out of the business. You know, the disappearing ink thing where they'd sign something, the ink would disappear and then they'd write out another check with his signature. It was like, and on and on. One gal even had credit cards in her name. Uh, it, it was just, you know, it's, it's incredible what people will do. The, the guys who get into business literally for the purpose of just taking everything they can out of it jacking up all their creditors as far as how much money they can get 
they transfer all their assets into somebody else's name and their family, and then they file bankruptcy, and they walk away from everything. I mean, you hear stories like this all the time. And literally, here, here's what he said, and this is the kicker. He said, you know what? But most of these people, I knew them all, and they were all trustworthy people. But they seemed so trustworthy. Isn't that the truth? You stop and think about it, the people who are going to get you are the ones where, that you think you can trust them. And you go on, and you know, in fact, Linda and I moved to California on the premise that a person that we knew in California said, look, you know what, we got a, there, we got a job lined up for you. Our daughter was six months old. We sold everything. We rented a U-Haul. We drove across the country. We moved to California. Didn't know anybody. When we got here, found out, I never said you, I had a job actually lined up for you. I just said that there were a lot of job opportunities here for you. Oh, well, gee, that's a little different. Just a little bit different. I know coaches that recruit high school students. They're coaches of local universities or colleges across the country. They recruit high school students, high school athletes, and they make them promises. You're our man. You're our man. You're our man. This is, we got a spot for you. You're going to play this position. This is where we want you. And they tell that same story to 12 potential recruits. And the reason they got to tell them all is because they don't know who's going to sign with them. And all of a sudden, they got three positions, and they got six guys signed letters of intent. Oops. What do you do? What do you say? Hey, I know we told you all these things, but hey, you know, hey, what? Nah, what? You know, and that's the way it is. Same thing happens in pro sports. Sign a guy free agent contract next week. Hey, you're our man. You're it. You're the guy that's going to play this position. Next week, they're watching the draft on TV. And what do they do? They draft the guy in the same position in the first round. And they pay him millions of dollars in bonuses. And the guy's sitting there going, okay, duh, let me get this straight. They're going to pay this guy millions of dollars. And they're going to let me play instead of him. Oh, right. You know, and that's the way that works. We've all been lied to. We've all been deceived by an employer, by an employee, maybe by a partner, maybe by a spouse, a teacher, a coach, a friend, a parent, a child or your children. You go through it. You know, even pastors and presidents have all said, you can trust me. You know, and we need to understand something. We need to understand that, you know what, there's a problem here. And the problem is that maybe we're not all trustworthy. We need to understand. I, went, I was given a proposal to an older guy, and he looked at the proposal, and we, we finalized the deal. And he said, you know what, look at this. And he pulled out another proposal from another company and said, look at this. And it was outrageous. The price was outrageous. And the guy said this. He said, you know what, I knew I was in trouble as soon as the guy said, hey, you can trust me because I'm a Christian. He said, I knew I was in trouble. Right then and there. I was watching 2020 the other day. They had a used car salesman. Did you see that? And the guy was laughing. He was laughing about the fact that, you know what? He used the, I'm a Christian line. And he was laughing about it. They caught him on closed circuit TV. And he said, well, ma'am, I'd never cheat you, ma'am. You know why? Because I'm a Christian. Oh, really? And then afterwards, they were showing him behind the scenes after they left. And they're laughing and hooting and hollering. And, oh, I used the, I'm a Christian line. That's sad. But you know what? We need to ask ourselves, who can be trusted? You know, it's easy to see why people become so cynical. It's easy to see why people become to the point where they don't trust anybody. But we need to understand something. You know, as we look at all these things, we've got to ask a question because when we ask the question, who can be trusted, I'll guarantee you this, that depending on how you answer that question will determine whether or not you believe that God can be trusted. Can God be trusted? It's a good question. And it's a fair question because think about this. If we're not sure we can trust one another, 
and we become cynical and disillusioned toward one another, then is it not also possible to become cynical and disillusioned toward God? Can I really trust God? You know, we need to recognize the fact that, you know, many of us have grown up being told certain things about who to trust and who not to trust. We took some friends of ours to the airport the other night, and I'm going to finish with this story, but I'm just going to tell you what he told us. He's an African-American family that played for the Rams, and he said, you know what, Chuck? He goes, all my life, I grew up taught never to trust white people. That's what he was taught. That's what he was taught. It's important to understand that that's, that's the way that it is in our country, in a lot of areas. And I'm sure it goes both ways, in many different ways. So we need to understand something as we ask this question, who can we trust? And what is trust really all about? You know, the Bible is filled with stories of deceit. The Bible tells us that Eve was deceived in the garden by, the Satan, by Satan. We learn that Jacob was deceived by, by, uh, by uh, Laban as he worked seven years for whom he thought he was going to get in Rachel and he didn't get her after all and he had to work another seven years and he was deceived and yet he was deceived again. And he was the same man that deceived his father and he was deceived again by his children when they sent Joseph into captivity. David deceived Uriah after he had had an affair with his wife and deceived him and put him up in the front of the battle line so he'd be murdered so that the, the truth would not become known. Jesus was deceived and betrayed by a friend who sold him out for some quick cash. Is God like that? Does he sell us out? Let me ask you a question. What causes you to trust another person? Think about this for a moment. You know, I want to get some feedback here and then I can take a drink of water. What causes you to trust another person? What would make another person trust you? What are some of the qualities that you look for in another individual that you would say, because these qualities exist in their life, I can trust them? What are they? Pardon me? First, one at a time. Okay, integrity. And translated means what? Huh? They're trustworthy. Oh, come on now, Al. Now, you know, how many, we got any teachers out here? You never, ever answer a question... By using part of the question as your answer. Is that not correct? Thank you very much. Say, what makes a person trust? What makes you trust someone? They're trustworthy. Hey, yeah, come on now. What? Past history. All right. It goes to what? Reliability. Are they reliable? If they've told you something in the past, could they demonstrate the way that they conducted themselves that what they would say was true? They said something, they followed through. That's reliability, okay? Going back to Alan, we'll get you off the hook. Trustworthiness really equates to what? Honesty, right? Or they told you something. Were they truthful? Were they honest in, in what they said? Were they reliable? What else do you have to have if you're going to be trustworthy? Okay, will you be transparency? Transparent. Transparency is basically what you see is what you get. There's nothing hidden. Uh, there, there, there's, no, you know, no, there's no hidden costs, right? What else? Hold on. Yes. Reputation. Okay, very good. Uh, reputation. And the reputation really goes back to reliability. How about one other one? And that is that, yes. Okay, whether you yourself are trustworthy, meaning... What? Now, 
Oh, oh, I, I understand what you're saying. You're saying basically, if, if you're a crook, you look at everybody else as being a crook. That's true. You know, if you think that, you know, you, you struggle with what you would do in that situation, and if you would do, and here's what it comes back to, and if you would do what's wrong, then you also tend to believe that someone else will do what's wrong. And therefore, you will have a tendency not to trust them. So basically, if you think about everything that we've talked about, there's, there's three basic qualities that you have to have if you're going to be trusted. Number one, you have to be committed to telling the truth. Right? You've got to be committed to tell the truth. Number two is you have to be committed to doing the right thing. If you're a person who is committed to doing the right thing, you're going to have a tendency to believe that other people will do the right thing. Now, that doesn't mean that they will, but it means that you're going to tend to believe that they will. And the last thing is a person has to be reliable. You have to be committed to these three things. At great personal expense, you must be committed to these things. Isn't that the truth? If you're committed to honesty, there are going to be times where you're not going to look so good when you have to expose what it is that you did or what it is that you said. If you're committed to doing the right thing, it may mean you have to pay a personal price to do that which is right instead of doing that which is in your own best interest. And also, you must be a person that's reliable. If you say something, you'll do it. Now, the question is, what's this have to do with God? I think it's fascinating if you understand the attributes of the character of God that these three qualities are found in these three attributes. And that is, these three attributes are what should cause us to trust in the Lord. God is holy, meaning he will never lie to us. God is just, meaning that he will always do the right thing. And God is faithful and that he is dependable or he is reliable and he has a track record to demonstrate that what he says he will be able to do. So let's take a look at them one at a time and see if that's not the case as far as the attributes of God. Why should I trust God when everyone else around me has the tendency or the potential to lead me down? Number one, God is holy. You know, this is probably the greatest attribute of God. God's holiness. In Isaiah 6, 3, the angels of God surround the throne of God and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The holiness of God. God is holy. Now, holiness basically is, 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 involves two things. One is God is separate from that which he's created. And number two is God is separate from that which is wrong or that which is sinful or immoral. So God's holiness basically boils down into those two realms. One is God is separate from everything that he has created, so he's going to be totally different from us, and that's good news when you consider that all of us can tend to, to, to let one another down or to be dishonest toward one another or deceive one another. And the first thing I learned is God is holy, therefore he's nothing like us. That's good. And God is also holy, which means that there is nothing in him that is evil or impure or in any way that would do anything that is wrong. And that, too, is good. Consider this. Psalm 99, 2 and 3 says this. The Lord is great in Zion. He is high above all the peoples. Let the people praise your great and awesome name, for he is holy. It goes on to say, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Exalt the Lord and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. 
On and on, the Bible tells us that God is separate from his creation and that there is nobody like God. None of us are like God. He is holy. Deuteronomy, Isaiah 57, 15 says, The Lord is the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, and his name is holy. All throughout the Bible, the word holiness, when used of God, is used to differentiate or to, to make sure that we understand that God is separate from all of his creation. God is not like us. Though we are like God in many ways, and that we are created in his image and his likeness, but when it comes to holiness, we are not like God at all. There is no one like God. He is exalted. He is holy. He is separate. He is different. So as we go through this, we also realize that God also is pure, and in him there is no evil. Psalm 24, 3 and 4 says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart and does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. The question the psalmist asks is, hey, who can really stand before God? He is holy. He is perfect. And God demands perfection. Before I was a Christian, one of the questions was asking me is, say, hey, are you perfect? I said, no. You know, I'm not that bad. I'm not that good. I'm in the middle somewhere, and it depends on who I'm hanging out with, you know? I mean, if I'm hanging around a bunch of church people, they're probably a little better than me. But if I'm hanging around my friends, I'm probably a little better than them. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, if God grades on the curve, I'm, I'm in there somewhere. You know, high C, maybe low B. But, um, but, the, but the point was, but the question wasn't, are you good? Are you okay? The question was, are you perfect? I said, well, no, there's no one perfect. Exactly. The problem is to ever enter the presence of God, a person has to be perfect. Well, then we got a problem here. Because I'm not perfect. And the question that was asked is, who can stand before a holy God, a perfect God, only those who have no impurity whatsoever in them, only those who have been cleansed from sin, only those who have been forgiven by God, who are made perfect or righteous through Jesus Christ. That's the only perfection that man will ever enjoy. And so as you look at this, we begin to realize, man, you know what? God isn't like us in a lot of ways. Hebrews 6.18 says, you know, God did... did did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. He's saying, you know what? God cannot lie. A character of God is that he cannot lie. In 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16, we read this, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. The Bible tells us that in him, in God, in Jesus Christ, there is no darkness at all. Isn't that a good thing to know? Now stop and think about this. If we're to trust God, we have to be convinced that he cannot do that which is wrong. And that's what God's holiness is all about. He doesn't struggle with doing something wrong because he cannot do that which is wrong. Let me give you an illustration. This is kind of the way I think, so maybe this will help you. Or maybe this will just shed more light on what you're dealing with here. Do you ever play one of those games, those trust me kind of games? You know, where a person will fall backwards and you say, well, if you trust me, you'll just fall backwards. You ever, you ever do that? Okay, how many have ever done it? Please, okay, thank you. All right, well, or some kind of game like that. So you go, okay, trust me. Or, you know, or, or the, the one where somebody goes to sit down in the chair and we, what do you do? Pull the chair out, you know, and they fall down. And, and, and so you play that game. And you say, well, if you trust me, you'll just go ahead and do this. Well, see, the difference between me and God is that when God says, if you trust me, you can do that, he doesn't entertain the thought of, 
Wouldn't this be hilarious if, if I don't catch him? See, he doesn't, he can't think that way. See, but we struggle with that, the, 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 uh, we, we think we have a choice. Am I going to do what's right? Am I going to do catch? Am I going to let him drop? See, God doesn't struggle with that. The difference between me and God, or you and God, or all of humanity and God, is that we consider sometimes wrong choices as possible acceptable ways to do things. But see, God is separate from all of that. And that's why Peter says, you know what? Where God is holy by nature, he tells us to be holy in what? Conduct. You follow that? Be holy in all you do. God is holy in, by nature. We must be holy in conduct. We must choose to do that which is holy before God or separate it. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll give you an illustration of what it means to be separate. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The question is asked, can you trust God? <clears throat> Start with verse 14. <clears throat> God says, do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Bilal, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? You know, this is one of the greatest arguments that God uses as far as his opposition toward those who are a child of God marrying or entering into a relationship with someone who is not a child of God. And also, if you go down through this as an argument, say, God also says, look, I don't want you being in any type of, of relationship where there is a mutual sharing of responsibilities, for example, in the terms of a partnership. Now, I've heard people say, well, you know what, but I work for a non-Christian. Well, that's okay. As far as you're not being asked to do anything that would be in violation of what is legally right or morally right or wrong, then there's nothing wrong with that. What God warns us is that we don't enter into an agreement with a person that we would then share the liability of their decisions with them because there's nothing that guarantees them that they would do what's right before God. So what God is asking is a very simple question. What in the world do you think you have in common with someone who doesn't think like a child of God, who doesn't have a standard of right or wrong, who doesn't understand what God has to say? He said, what partnership or what fellowship can you have? What kind of marriage can you have with one person who's committed to the Lord and wants to do right by the Lord and another person that says, well, I don't believe in God and I don't whatever. Now, now, now if, if you're married and you become a Christian afterwards and the Bible gives clear instruction on how to enter, enter that relationship or enjoy that relationship and do the things that are right before God and, and pray for that person and be a witness to that person. But it's, it's a different question when it's I'm considering entering into this agreement. All right, well, wait a minute. And he says, well, wait a minute. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you and I'll be a father to you. And you, be, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting what? Holiness in the fear of the Lord. God is holy because his nature is holy. Man is only holy as we conduct ourselves in a way that is separate from those things that God says to separate ourselves from. Literally, the, the word holy in English is translated from a Greek word and Hebrew word, and both of them mean the same thing. And that is that which is not 
crooked as we go through this. We need to understand that God is holy, that he is also not only holy, that he can't lie. It's impossible for God to lie, but we also realize this, that God is just. That God is just, that God will always do the right thing. See, that's important to know. Because, see, as, as we understand his character, God is holy, but he is also just. He will do that which is right. This past year, Ryan had a, a freshman football coach, and, and he was, of all the years that I've ever coached, I've never met a guy who was like him. He was just really different in the way he conducted himself. And, and none of his players really knew where they stood at any, at, at any moment in time. But that was just the way that he was. And uh, Ryan started, the first game of this year, he started, went out on the field, played two plays. Both plays were away from him. The coach pulled him out of the game, put him on the sideline, never talked to him, never played him again the rest of the year. Now, as Ryan and I were discussing, he said, Dad, what did I do wrong? I said, Ryan, I, you know what, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I was there, I saw the plays, they weren't even at you, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything that you did. Well, then I don't understand, why did he do what he did? He said, you know what, the only thing I can do is tell you to go ask him. Yeah, but Dad, you don't understand. Anybody that asks him anything or challenges him, they end up running and they end up, you know, getting abused and they end up getting used in practice and beat up. He goes, I'm not going to ask him. So, well, you know, if you're not going to ask him, I'm not going to ask him because I already know what I'm going to ask him. And, uh, and that probably wouldn't be the best thing for you either. So, you know, we'll just have to learn from something. We'll just have to learn from this, you know. We're going to have to understand it. But he said the classic words that many of us have uttered at some point in our life, and that is this. But, Dad, it's just not what? fair. It's just not fair. And you know what? There are a whole bunch of things in life that just aren't fair. They really aren't. There's a bunch of stuff that's just not fair. I don't understand it. And I don't know what to tell you. Sometimes there's just not even an answer for it. The only answer that excites me and gets me through the not fair times of life is that God is just. God is fair. And he knows what's right, and he knows what's wrong, and God is just. You know, sometimes that's what it boils down to. You know, we live in a world that's just not fair. You know, I think about it. Man will not always do the right thing. Man will not always stand for what is just. You know, I was listening to, you know, the things that are going on with the trial, and, you know, we're learning more about our ju judicial system than I ever wanted to ever know. And, and, you know, and in becoming more and more disillusioned by the moment with the whole system. And the only thing that keeps me going is knowing that God is just. So because, you know what? You know, you, you read in here that 90% of jurors make up their mind during the opening argument. And it doesn't matter what kind of evidence is presented. All right? Great. Then you start listening to testimony. And you start to realize, you know what? Police officers don't always do the right thing. Politicians don't always do the right thing. Human beings don't always do the right thing. Because, you know why? Because it may mean that they have to expose some area of their life that they don't want to expose. It may mean they have to cover their bases on things that they don't want people to understand about them. Do we live in a racist world? Absolutely. Do we live in a world of injustice? Absolutely. Is there anywhere really to turn on the face of the earth where we know that justice will be served? No. Sorry, but there isn't. But I can turn to the Lord, and I know that God is just. And that's why Abraham asked him in Genesis 18.25, Far be it from you to do such a thing. God, you would not kill the righteous with the wicked. 
You wouldn't treat the righteous and the wicked the same now, would you? Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do the right thing? And the answer is absolutely. God always does the right thing. God will always do that which is just. Our problem is, as people, our convictions come with a very high price tag. You do not own, and I do not own a conviction until I have paid the price to buy it, to own it, to possess it. And the only way that we know what our convictions really are, and if we really stand for what is right, is when we have to pay a price to say, it doesn't matter what the price is to be paid, I must do that which is right. Fortunately, God knows what's right. Because if we ask one another, we'd all have different ideas of what is right and what is wrong and what is fair and what is just. But God isn't confused by any of it. See, as we go through this, we begin to realize, you know what? Ezra 9.15 says, O Lord, God of Israel, you are righteous. You're committed to doing the right thing. We are left this day as a remnant. Here we are before you in our guilt, though because of it, not one of us can stand in your presence. And you know what he's saying? The reason that Israel had a remnant of people that God still held and protected was because God made Abraham a promise that he would make him a great nation. And even though they were disobedient as they often were, and even though they turned their back on him as often we do, and even though they didn't stand for what is right or what is just and turned many times to doing those things that were wrong, They stood before God that day, and Ezra realized it was because of God's righteousness. Because God would do that which was right. Not that which seemed right or didn't seem right, but God does the right thing. Why? Because he's different from us and that he is holy. His character will not allow him to do anything other than that which is right. As I say, we can struggle with doing the right thing or the wrong thing. We can rationalize it and justify it. But God doesn't struggle with anything. He just knows what right is and he knows what wrong is. He will judge others one day who do wrong because he was just. The Bible says in Daniel 9, 14, Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works in which he does. Though we have not obeyed his voice, he shall certainly judge. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. How do you help a person that's gone through injustice on this earth other than to say, if you're looking for justice on earth and you're fighting for it and striving for it, you will be greatly disillusioned, you will become bitter, and you'll become cynical. But if you understand that God sees and knows all things, and one day he will balance the scales of justice, then you can understand that God is just. And I can live with that. And I can wait for that. In the book of Revelation, the saints who were martyred yell out to God, how much longer until you avenge our deaths? And God says, just wait a little while, but it will be done. Do you understand the reason that there's a heaven is because God loves us? And the reason that there is a hell is because God is just? That's what it boils down to. God must honor his word. He must keep his promises. He must do the right thing. And it, and it means that someday people will have to pay the price for sin if they do not repent and turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. God must do that. He has to do it because it is, it is his character, it is nature, and that is what justice is all about. 
We as human beings understand that. We say, but that's not fair. That's not just. How can one person murder another person and get off? And how can one person murder another person and go to the electric chair? How can one person do this and only pay this kind of price and another person do the same thing and only pay another kind of price? That's not justice. No, it's not. But that's humanity. And that's the way it is. But that's not the way God is. And thank God he's not like us. Thank God he's separate from us. Thank God that we need to understand that God is just and he will do what is right. God will not forget our works that we do. In Hebrews 6.10 it says this, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints, and you so do minister today. That God is not unjust. God, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and what? Just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. God is not unjust. If we ask for forgiveness, he forgives us. And that's what we need to understand. But we also need to understand that while God is not only holy, separate from us, that God is just, he is also faithful. God is faithful. And let's thank him for that. He's dependable. He's reliable. He's got a good track record. He's got a great company history. He's got a great portfolio. Whatever it is that you can relate to, that's our God. He's faithful. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting, shifting shadows. What a wonderful truth. He's saying, you know what? The same God that holds the universe together, the same God that holds the stars in its place, the same God is just like that as far as his character is concerned. He doesn't change things. He is consistent. He is reliable. He is stable. You don't wake up one day in the North Star South. I mean, and that, but we need to understand that. But that's what God is. You don't wake up one day and he's different than he was yesterday. He is just like he is every day. And as a result, he's trustworthy and reliable. God is our refuge and strength. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. When we're in a jam, we can run to him and call on him. And he's going to be where he says he's going to be. And that is he's easy to find. God doesn't change. He is faithful. But let me give you some, some application for the next few minutes on what it means that you can trust God. In very practical ways. The first one is this. The faithfulness of God. For me, it comforts me when I'm tempted to do evil. The faithfulness of God is a comfort when I'm tempted to do evil. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, But no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow us to be tempted beyond that which we're able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that we can endure it. Do you hear what he's saying? Every one of us are going to be tempted to do evil. There's no one that's tempted to do anything that somebody else hasn't been tempted of. But God is faithful in the midst of that temptation, and he won't allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able. But with that temptation, he always gives you a way of escape. If you choose to take it, he will give you deliverance from what it is that's tempting you. But God is faithful. While we're faithless, he's faithful. So in times of temptation, I know this. There's nothing that will ever come into my life that God isn't greater than that I can't turn to him and he won't lead me from it if I really want to be delivered. That's why God doesn't tempt anyone to do evil. Because he can't. He's holy. He's separate from sin and evil. 
God never said to any one of you, this is what you're going to be tempted to do, and God led you to it. No, we're tempted by our own lust, and we're deceived by our own, own enticed, by our own lust and, and the own things of our flesh. That's why if you're going to live a holy life, you turn from it and walk from it. The second thing is that God also, his faithfulness, protects us from Satan, which goes hand in hand in many ways. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3 says, But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one who will establish you and guard you from Satan and his temptations. God is faithful. He's not allowing his children to run around the face of the earth and not providing a hedge around them, a way of escape from temptation, to protect us from Satan and all of his desires to destroy our life, that, that hungry, devouring lion who seeks and stalks those who he wants to destroy. God's not like that. He leave us alone. His faithfulness protects us. It also guarantees our forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, we've already said it. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I met with a man this past week who had had an affair and, he had, and had problems in his marriage. It had been a couple of years and he confessed his sin and they're working through some things. And I asked him, I said, you know what, what do you struggle with? He says, the biggest thing I struggle with in life is knowing that God has forgiven me. Think about this. How many times have you done something that's wrong before God? You confess that sin to God. You're broken. You're repentant. You've turned from it. And you're walking another way. And you're not doing it again. But it's like the next day you wake up and say, I better ask for forgiveness again. I better ask for forgiveness again. I better ask. Why? Because I don't trust God when he said he forgave me. You understand that? How would you like to have a friend who did something wrong and asked for forgiveness and you said, it's over. It's a done deal. It's okay. You're forgiven. And then every time they see you, they ask you again, will you please forgive me? I've been telling you since 1972. You're forgiven. Would you please give it up? But that's the way we are with God. God says, if you confess it, I'm faithful and just. I'll forgive you. It's over. It's done. Learn. Move on with your life. And what a great burden it is that will be lifted off your shoulders the moment that you believe and trust in God that he will forgive you when he says that he will. See, the comfort of God's faithfulness is it's a wonderful truth for me to know all the stupid things I've ever done in life. As I've confessed them, God has forgiven me. He's cleansed me from it. And he doesn't hold it against me anymore. Oh, that's good stuff. And the last thing, God's faithfulness gives us security for the future. It's God's faithfulness. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who calls you is faithful and also will do it. He who called you is faithful and he will do what he said he's going to do. Let me go back to this story. <clears throat> As we went to the airport, the family that we were taking back to the airport began to tell us a story. And he began to tell me the story of how, as a young man growing up outside of Atlanta, <clears throat> he grew up in an all-black neighborhood. And he was told not to trust white people. And um, he said he grew up with that attitude. And when he went to the University of Auburn, and he was walking down the street, University of Auburn, majority of people there were white. He said as they saw him walk down the street, there was a big black man, huge, powerful so they walked to the other side of the street. They would cross the street before they would walk past him. He said, and I grew up with this feeling that, you know what, there's just, you know what, everyone had told me was right. And he got 
traded to the Rams and he played for the Rams and we became friends. And we spent a lot of time together and Linda spent a lot of time with his wife and we babysat for him and they had twin, twins, a girl and a boy and they're two years old now. And he's telling me the story as we're driving to the airport, all of us. He says, you know, and until we met you, I believe that was true, that you couldn't trust white people. So then we began, as we met you and we began to learn about you and we began to see how you accepted us as people, didn't matter what church we went to, didn't matter what background we were at, we were from, it didn't matter all these things that people get hung up on, it really didn't make any difference. But that you were committed to being truthful with us, that you were committed to doing what's right as far as God had to say, and that you were reliable and dependable. You know, you were, basically he was saying everything that we talked about was demonstrated in our relationship with them. So we became trustworthy. He said, you know, and the irony of all of it is for the first couple of years I really struggled with this in the league. He goes, and you know, it's, it's hard to, to tell you this, but the people that we'll miss most in California is you and Linda and your kids and your family. And we're going to miss you more than anybody we've ever missed before. So I'm driving down the street and I'm crying. I have a hard time to see. I can't, you know, and it's like, oh, you know. And uh, so I had to break it up. And I said, hey, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. I'll come back to your neighborhood. You can take us around for show and tell sometime. But, uh, <laughs> you know, because otherwise, you know, it's just killing you. And as, as we got to the airport, we got out. And as we were hugging and we were kissing one another, we came to realize that, you know what? Only God could do something like that. Only God, as we understand who he is, changes us to become the kind of people that we need to be. And as you consider that, I want you to consider, are you a trustworthy person? Are you committed to being honest and committed to doing what's right before God and committed to being reliable and dependable and that you back what you say? See, because when we're trustworthy, that is when it becomes easy for people that we come in contact with to trust God. When we are trustworthy, then God becomes trustworthy. Is that the kind of person that you are? They taught us what it meant to trust one another. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. We just thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your holiness. We thank you for your justice. God, may we become more like you as we're conformed into the image and likeness of your son. And may you use that in our life as we become more trustworthy to cause people to trust in you. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.